Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm David Thorpe, Investment Editor at FT Advisor. Today we are discussing the outlook for technology shares. Uh, while the world is gripped by inflation and growth shocks, most equity markets endured a torrid 2022. It was technology shares which bore the brunt of the sell-off, but with valuations lower, is now the time to look again at the sector. Joining me to discuss the outlook are Richard Saldana, Global Equity Fund Manager at Aviva Investors, David Coombs, Head of Multi-Asset Funds at Rathbone's Unit Trust Management, and Mark Horton, who runs the Gamstar Global Disruptive Equity Fund. Um, Mark, I guess we'll come to you uh, first. Well, the companies that make up the FANGS monitor are very different to each other in many ways. In share price terms, they all moved in broadly the same direction last year. Is this something, this correlation, something that investors can expect to recur in future? Uh, I don't think so. I think we'd seen many years of them moving in a very correlated fashion to the upside. Um, and last year was a obviously significant correction for most of them, uh, really reflecting their disruptive nature as um, platform businesses that in many cases have only been around for between 10 and 15 years and yet still represent some of the biggest companies in the world today. I think looking forward, they will be judged a lot more on their underlying businesses it shouldn't be forgotten that in the case of, let's say, Google and Facebook, for example, they are essentially advertising businesses. And so they are likely to be subject to the economic sensitivity of advertising spend. Uh, similarly, a company like Tesla, as it matures, will be more set to um, be struck by the changes in demand for cars more generally, not just electric cars, in the case of Amazon by retail overall. So I think we'll start to see uh, differing performance based on underlying trends. Thank you. And Richard, unusually for me, I did some research before I came in today, and I know that you have been relatively um, optimistic or keen on the outlook for some technology stocks, but how do you view the fangs right now and do you think about them as a basket of um, equities? No, we certainly don't think of them as a basket, as the sort of market tends to bucket them in. I think, you know, not all fangs are created equal, I guess we'd say. I mean, if we think about last year and sort of the main reasons for the for the moving altogether, that correlation was really, we think, down to the move you saw in interest rates. So obviously, 10-year Treasury yields moving from one and a half to sort of north of 4%. We saw significant derating in valuation multiples, obviously, as people started discounting the future cash flows back at a higher rate. Now, given we're closer to that terminal rate, you know, we think the focus will actually be more on the underlying fundamentals, which, you know, whilst they were relatively robust last year, certainly showed signs of slowing. You know, as, as Mark said, these companies are certainly not immune from a macro standpoint. So I, I think you'll start to see that differentiation start to play out a bit more uh, as we go into this year. Thank you. And David Coombs from Rathbones, how do you think of, of um, do you think of technology as a sector or have we reached the point where every company is a technology company so every company is judged on its own it's funny merits? It's funny to say that. I was just thinking, <clears throat> we were discussing before we came, came into the room, you know, about being a bit older and being being around and and I, I'm somebody who actually hates drawing parallels with the past because you know the world moves on and technology etc however I am minded to think of back to 2000 2001 when we saw realism hit the tech sector I mean and realism means 
lost a lot of money, um, and companies went to the wall. What? But in, in the run-up to 2000, which is more interesting, we saw any company that launched a website suddenly got relabeled as a tech company. And I, it can draw a slight parallel with what's happened in the last 10 years in that many companies with labeled technology companies, when their principal business, really, Amazon in retail, Tesla, was, uh, uh, as Mark was talking to, in, in the auto industry, and you saw Tesla incredible valuations per uh, versus other auto companies, and yet it, it is an auto company, but with you know, first move advantage in a certain level of technology. But these are businesses enabled by technology, not necessarily technology companies. And I do think, uh, if you would just focus on the fangs for a second, these are now very mature, post-sub-excessive uh, uh, growth, and we should look at them as mature conglomerates. You know, we, we're talking about, you know, Alphabet, which is partly the cloud earnings um, and then advertising earnings. Uh, so it's a media company with uh, also providing software services. And I think it's the modern day Siemens, which is going to probably make some people shudder, uh, although Siemens is a very different business today. So um, I think you need to look at these companies like you look at any other. And I think the tech sector has become overbloated. Um, it needs to be broken down to many different subsectors. And I think the whole fangs thing, frankly, is just complete nonsense. I think the point around disruption is actually quite a good one because I think that's what you're seeing right now. The challenges these companies are facing. I mean, we, we talk about Meta, for instance, last year. You think about you know the, the the growth engine which has been advertising now coming under pressure from the likes of TikTok, etc. You think about the capital allocation decisions that are making in terms of investing in the metaverse and quite what that means in terms of what this company looks like five years from now. So I, I think that dis, that disruption element has certainly, when you think back to the competitive advantage that these companies had, which has been sustained for many years is certainly coming under pressure. So I think that's something investors need to consider as well. And also remember, there are companies like Dell, Oracle, Hewlett-Packard. These were sexy, IBM. These were sexy Nifty tech companies, you know, 20, 30 years ago. You know, who cares about them now? And will Alphabet, Amazon, uh, Microsoft be, be that in, in 10 years' time? Bearing in mind, Microsoft's already had a, a lost 10 years in the past and has reinvented itself. Um, perhaps Dell will be the next fang. Um, with a D. That, that takes us on to the, um, the the next area, really, which is a lot of the uh, uh, most bullish uh, tech investors that were out there are investors who, who, let's say, who had very substantial overweights to tech and did very well as a result. The point that they always made was that the reason it was different this time was because in 01 and 02, when every company had a website, David, and, and was called a tech stock, um, that what's different this time is is that it was clear and obvious that the fangs were the winners in their sector. So in 01 and 02, we didn't know what the winners were. Everybody allocated capital to everything. Some of them lost, and people lost money. But this time we know which one the winners are. But is that is that still true, or is there... An, is it structurally the case that some of these things could be X growth or just or just now no longer be the disruptor but being nibbled at by the disruptor? Yeah, well, I've heard those fantasies as well. And you know, I think if you look at Netflix, you look at Tesla. These these are businesses that w were did have first move advantage. That you know, Netflix first to stream. I think the, the, where the, these people who felt the valuations go for, on forever, what they missed was that yes, they had first move advantage. Um, but they had potential competitors with deep pockets and, 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 and good access to capital who who may catch up. And if you look at what's happened with Netflix, for example, you know, is that even a tech company? I don't think it is, but people call it a tech company. You know, Apple, Disney, 
ITVX. Did I just say that? You know, <laughs> um, if you look at Tesla, Volkswagen shipped more e-cars than Tesla did in Europe last year, right? So um, now that doesn't mean you make money from Volkswagen or you make money from Disney, by the way. But my point being that some of those tech companies where there was so-called visibility in the next 10, 20 years, I, I would question that. I don't think that was ever the case. I think it's like Uber as well and Spotify. Many of these companies, I think, were far more grey than many made the bulls made out. Thank you. Well, Mark, you've got uh, global and disruptive in the in the title of your fund, so I guess your your view is that there is another wave of uh, of companies coming along to challenge the fangs. Is, have I have I understood that correctly, or are they already there? Those uh, disruptors. I think they're they're partially there. I think if we just go back to the um, comments about what happened in two thousand two thousand and one, I think one of the really key differentiating features is that back at that time, everything was in place for a lot of what we've actually seen in the last 15 to 20 years, except that we didn't have the ability to put compute devices in people's hands. So we were limited to a network size of 400 million desktop PCs globally. As soon as we started having smartphones in the 2007-2008 timeframe, that began a whole new wave of network effect based on Metcalfe's law. Uh, and now we have billions of connected devices which created these huge platform operators that just could not have existed back then. Back in those days, I remember it wasn't just a case of which companies put .com on the end of their name. You know, analysts were analysing these businesses in the form of which one had the largest number of eyeballs because they didn't have revenue, leave alone profit. Yeah. Um, so it, it, is, it, it was very different then. I think that now is a very different world. But... These disruptions go in cycles, and I think we've been through the big platform wave, and these platform businesses are now maturing rapidly, and we need to look at what comes next. And for me, what comes next is what's driven really by the connectivity of everything, by the generation of huge amounts of data, by the use of more advanced AI, and the impact that has on perhaps more traditional sectors like healthcare and industrials and financials and transportation. So I think we're well into that next leg now, and that's where next generation winners will come from. I don't think they will come from the big platform winners of the last 10 years. Thank you. And um, Richard, is it... is Structural growth, I think, is a, a term that's used to describe almost every asset that somebody owns. Um, what does that mean to you as a as a global equity investor? And do you identify tech and, and the large, well-known tech companies as structural growth stories? Or has the best of their growth already happened? No, I mean, it's interesting the point about ma maturity. And I think that is, that's a very good point about actually where these companies are in terms of their life cycle, right? So... You know, we think about, you know, where these businesses were sort of, you know, five, 10 years ago and the sort of investments that they made and where they are right now. I mean, I'd say from a structural growth standpoint, you know, we still think a lot of the areas that these companies are playing into, namely areas such as digital advertising, cloud computing, we still think the runway is there. Now, now bear in mind, a lot of this was turbocharged, this growth from what we saw in the pandemic. So you look at Google's search business that was growing almost 40% year over year, that's back down to sort of, you know, call it sort of single digit growth. You think about Azure, Microsoft's cloud computing platform did almost 50% growth. That's down, that's decelerated to 30%. So, 
I think people got a bit carried away to some extent thinking, and maybe even the companies themselves when it comes to some of the hiring decisions that were made, that this growth would be sustained for an extended period. Now, that's clearly not the case. That doesn't mean that these companies are not still going to continue to grow because we actually think these, these are long-term trends. If you think about you know, the shift of you know, workloads to the cloud or the shift in terms of moving to digital advertising, we think that'll continue to play out. And actually, these companies will continue to benefit from that. It's just that the growth levels that these companies saw are just not sustainable. So, you know, I, I think that's where, you know, we certainly, you know, again, this probably ties back into the debate we had around, you know, we will probably will have around valuations and where they stand right now. But we still think these companies will benefit from those trends. <coughs> we have to be conscious that the winners may change as well. You know, we all take uh, significantly more photographs today than we did 10, 20 or 30 years ago. And yet there was a time when Kodak was a top 10 S&P company but it hardly exists anymore. So it's not just <coughs> maturity, it's also will there be another competitive threat for some of these companies, I think. Yeah, I think you know, Google uh, still has incredible market position. It's probably the last advertising spend that you cut in a recession. I think it's pretty resilient growth story, but it's not, it's not a 10-bagger. It's not going to disrupt or, or, or make, you know, double every three or four years so i think it, we, it's still a great investment but it will you know will it have the kind of sort of growth potential that those who typically go after the people who buy arc innovation funds for example it's not going to have the juice probably that the next big thing is going to have and i, I you know everyone's getting very excited at the moment about chat bot whatever it's called um I suspect a lot of money is going to be wasted on this as well. I think there's going to be some very interesting commercial um, usage for it. And I think actually in terms of what's the next phase, it's about, it's about productivity and looking at margins over the next 10 years, the higher cost of capital. So I think you want to invest in tech companies, whether it's healthcare, whether it's within the industrial robotics again. I think that actually for the next 10 years, with, I mean, who knows, but my, my sense is... You know, we all know most of the Western economies, including China, has got a significant demographic problem that's now, it's not just a chart for 20 years down the road, it's now. And I think technology's got a massive opportunity to increase productivity in manufacturing, in healthcare, and actually that's probably where we need to shift our focus to, away from the advertising-dominated platforms, I think as Mark was alluding to, over the last 10 years. Thank you. And David, given that, um, view that you've you've each articulated there is there is growth there but maybe not as much as, as in the past the next obvious question to ask on that is about the valuations have the valuations come down to reflect the more modest growth and therefore be priced at a, a level that's maybe a bit attractive yeah I, I, I'm not seeing cheap valuations really to be honest um I mean, I look at it from I'm a multi-asset manager, so I look at valuations a little bit more from an absolute return perspective. I'm happy to pay up a multiple for growth, having said that. Um, but I do, th I am becoming a little more sceptical on some of these more mature businesses in terms of their multiple. You look at where the Apple multiple is today compared to where it probably was five, ten years ago. You know, we, we, I think, you know, over the next three years, don't say the next six months, because the market's really struggling right now to know where in rates are going to be, where inflation is going to be. And it, it, the market is, the volatility has been driven by that, that trying to work out what the valuation should be. Um, so I think it's, it's too early to call. But I do think on a three to five year view, we probably want to pay lower multiples than historically for some of those businesses we've talked about today. Thank you. And um, Mark, from, from your point of view, given that you look at the, 
the tech space in the in the round and how how are you seeing the the valuations are they tempting you back into to fangland uh not necessarily fangland i mean valuations clearly are a lot more compelling than they were 12 months ago but having said that you know the first sign of slightly improved environment has seen a number of these these names surge back up uh, and and put some of them out of touch you know Tesla, I was reading this morning, is up almost 100%, 100% from its low in January. Um, so it hasn't taken long for valuations to perhaps be very, very full or, or fuller than they should be again. I do think, though, uh, and it's perhaps a slightly contentious view, um, I think that in the next generation of growth opportunities, in the next wave of disruption, there are some really interesting companies that because they were much more nascent um, and therefore, in many cases, were not profitable, although they had good levels of revenue and were growing rapidly, um, were hit even harder during 2022. In some cases, you had companies falling, share prices falling 70, 80, 90%. And from that pool of companies, I think there is a chance, a good chance, that we'll find some really interesting disruptors that will provide fantastic returns over the next 10 years. And I just look back at 2008, 9 just to give a kind of case study example. So Amazon and Salesforce, that were both semi-mature at that point, um, grew through the downturn of 2008, 9 without batting an eyelid really on their growth profile. Growth hardly moved. Yet their share prices still got hit by 70% in both cases. If you had bought those shares at the bottom, you'd have made over 50 times your money today. So often when we get these huge resets, if you can find the genuinely disruptive growers of the future, you get a great opportunity to buy them. And I think in this next wave, um, there are opportunities out there today that do look really compelling. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> Richard, you mentioned in one of your, your previous answers around the, the hiring decisions that some of these tech companies made when they thought that there was a new new normal and some of those hiring decisions are, are being um, reversed. So if the companies are being more uh, cautious on costs and the market's been a bit more cautious on valuations, are we getting to a point where the, maybe they're starting to be priced in a way that's attractive or, or rational from, from your point of view? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, look, when we think back to the end of 2021 and where valuations stood on these companies, I think it's fair to say you were paying a significant premium for that growth opportunity, that sort of structural growth that we were sort of talking about earlier. So look, in that sense, I think, you know, we've seen valuations have come in quite substantially in some cases. So you've got Alphabet now on a free cash flow yield north of 5%. You've got Microsoft on a free cash flow yield close to 4%. So, you know, we think from that perspective, the risk reward is definitely starting to look look more interesting. I think also the point to make as well, you know, we talk about, you know, rising you know rates and cost of capital. In many cases, particularly the, the companies I mentioned there, you know, you look at the balance sheet and their net cash, right? So, you know, in the case of Alphabet, 10% of their market cap is 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 net, is net you know is, in net cash. So, again, when you think about the ability of companies to weather what is likely to be, you know, you know, higher interest rate environment, we think these companies, in many ways, are as well placed as any, frankly. So, again, when you think about that disruption, and and I think these companies are aware of this. In some cases, they're disrupting even some own elements of their own business because they know they need to stay ahead, as you said, of what what's happening. And obviously, from a competitive standpoint as well, the fact that these companies are generating, you know, still significant levels of free cash flow means that they also can, you know, in the case of Alphabet, you know, look at what they have in the sort of other bets division, in many cases, not very profitable things, but they realize there is a need to continue to innovate as well. So, yeah, I, I think, again, you know, these companies un undoubtedly will change, you know, and, and, and no industry is immune from, from, you know, from disruption. But ultimately, we still think their sort of competitive advantages, I think, will stand the test of time. 
Thank you. And Richard, if we continue with you for the for the next question, um, how relevant in your thoughts to the investment case for for banks, but large tech generally, is um, is the regulatory environment? Politicians love uh, love an ogre because then it means people don't think they're the ogres. And <coughs> what we've started to see, I guess, is um, is many policymakers looking at these companies and what they're doing, and maybe thinking about clipping their wings is that something that has to be front and center of your, your thoughts yeah look absolutely i think i think investors really need to start thinking about the sort of regulatory you know concerns there. and i think the main one for us really is antitrust so again you think about these companies you know the dominant position they have in their end markets they're always going to face you know scrutiny from from regulators we're seeing that right now with the sort of dog doj i should say lawsuit you know in, into alphabet and the online advertising business we've seen this also from m M&A and a standpoint you know scrutiny on some of the deal that are being done. You think about Adobe and, and the current sort of proposal to, to acquire Figma. So look, I think the key from us is, you know, particularly looking at it from a customer standpoint, the question you want to ask is, are these companies innovating sufficiently to ensure that their customers are sort of are benefiting really from the significant scale that they have? And I think that's where regulators really are keeping a close eye on these companies. But I, I don't think that regulatory scrutiny is going to go away. And I think investors really need to, you know, really need to consider that from an investment standpoint as well. Thank you. Um, Mark, you mentioned both on those very large cap, but also on the, the level below that where, where maybe you, you're, you're starting to see some, some opportunities. But how important, how closely do you have to monitor the, the regulatory environment for the sort of things that you'd look at in a disruptive growth fund? I think the regulatory environment applies most to the very largest companies that are seen to be very dominant and monopolistic. Um, but I've always taken the view that it's uh, an evolutionary development. It's a sort of almost like a game of table tennis where, you know, the ball gets batted backwards and forwards and the regulators try to make some moves and the companies try to make some counter moves. Sometimes they are complicit and compliant and, and make a change, like, for example, when Facebook hired an extra 20-odd thousand people to review content. Um, and sometimes they fight the cases. But I think... There's a element of a discount built into some of these companies for that. Um, I think it's very hard to see a situation where a regulator would come in with some major change or major legal positioning that would um, significantly disadvantage these businesses. I think it's, you've got to think of it in terms of evolution, not, not revolution. <clears throat> Thank you. David, how, how do you think about is is there an element of when you when you look at the, the multiple and you think well do I need to another little bit of a discount to reflect regulatory threat? I mean, it's very hard to be that precise. I mean, I, you know, the market knows about this regulatory threat. The fact we're talking about it means the market knows, and it's probably in the price anyway. Yes, of course, regulator could do something quite shocking, but. You know, if anyone thinks that Alphabet aren't under scrutiny for antitrust or Amazon, then frankly, they shouldn't be investing. So I think that's probably in the price already, unless it's something completely out of left field. And then if it's out of left field, you can't see it anyway, so don't even try. So I, I think, you know, oh, regulation typically actually helps the incumbents because it, it actually acts as a barrier to entry. So in some respects, so I, I agree, I think antitrust is is the major threat really rather than uh, other regulation. Online regulation will come. It, there'll be all sorts of, uh, of, of wrangling over that. But again, because these are such global companies, it's very hard for the governments actually to get a common purpose around tackling them. It's a bit like the the, the, the transfer of tax, for example, as we've seen in the past as well. So, I, 
you know, it, it is a concern. You should factor it in. It, it's part of the bear case that you make for these the, these companies. But I think it's fair to say it, they're pretty well understood. Thank you for that, David Coombs, Head of Multi-Asset Funds at Rathbones Unit Trust Management. And thank you to Richard Saldana, Global Equity Fund Manager at Aviva Investors, and Mark Horton, who runs the GAM Star Global Disruptive Equity Fund. And thank you all for listening. Please do remember to tune in to future editions of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.